Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I'd like to thank all my listeners for listening and thank the contributors to my show, who are Executive Producer Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Senior Editor Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, Binaural Production Engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, please go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a whole bunch of information there on how to contribute. And now, our guest, without further ado, our guest for today is Mary Joyce, and she has written books on all kinds of cool topics, everything from Bigfoot, little people, um, but we are going to start off today talking about something that's been going on in the news lately, which is UFOs. Thank you for coming on today. Hello, I can't hear you. It looks like you have your mute on. I'm very sorry I did. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I just wanted to, uh, your listeners to know that... Uh, uh, I, t- I started to uh, talk about Bigfoot right off the bat with you, but uh, this morning I turned on the TV and they were interviewing the author um, from the New Yorker magazine, and the, the title of his article was How the Pentagon Started Taking UFOs Seriously. And in the last month or so, we've been seeing so many things uh, that are being leaked out by the government. And I want you to know that I think they are still spoon feeding us when it uh, comes to UFO information. It's just minuscule compared to what is what they really, really know. And back in the um, mid to late 80s, I lived in Cocoa Beach or on Cocoa Beach itself and got to meet a number of the astronauts and uh, uh, learned a lot of things in, like 35 years ago um, that they aren't even beginning to touch now. Uh, one, I was there uh, when the shuttle blew up, right. and at the time I was working at Eastern Florida State College, which at the time was called Brevard Community College, and I was driving north on Highway 1 and looked up, had the radio on, so I was hearing the news on the radio and watching this um, shuttle disaster happen. So I was really right in the thick of things that were going on. And one of the people that died in that um, shuttle disaster was Judith Resnick. And she was the girlfriend of Clark McClellan, who uh, worked for NASA for at least uh, way past 30 years. And after the shuttle disaster, um, he was at um, someone's house in Orlando. And just a few of us were invited to be there. And he wanted to talk and share some information <clears throat> with other people that he trusted because he felt it would help protect him from being snuffed out. And the, the government and NASA, 
really wiped him uh, out of existence, uh, cut off any kind of benefits he might have gotten after, I think it was 35 years of service, um, and just tried to, you know, shut him up entirely. He was afraid they might snuff him out, so he wanted more people to know what was going on. At the time, he was, it was after the, right after the shuttle disaster, he was so nervous that even before he began talking to us, he was sweating profusely. And um, he had been double hit. Um, first of all, the government was wiping him out because he had talked about something, which I'll share with you in a few minutes. And the um, uh, astronaut, Judith Resnick, was his girlfriend. So he had lost his girlfriend. He had lost his job. And he was afraid he was going to get snuffed out. And that was the reason he wanted to share information with us. Um, the thing that he made a mistake with, as far as the NASA government, NASA was concerned, was that he had talked about what he had seen on the monitor when he was working as a, a spacecraft operator at NASA. And he had seen a, a tall alien meet with one of our astronauts in the open space shuttle uh, bay. And, um, he managed to talk about that and they didn't like that. And that was the end of his, his career. And the rest of his life, he, he was quite miserable. So that's one of the things that, uh, that uh, has stuck in my mind since all this stuff is coming out. Uh, not only did he see a, a tall alien meeting with one of our astronauts, um, he knew information about uh, some of the people involved with NASA actually being um, uh, uh, Nazi, uh, former Nazi people who mm -hmm. had supposedly died, but they were working with NASA. So right. he let out a lot of secrets. Right. Interesting. Um, there's two other astronauts that come to mind that, that both said things about seeing extraterrestrial things or things that were unexplained. I believe one was, was Buzz Aldrin and the other one is definitely Edgar Mitchell. Right. They both have spoken out to a degree. And um, on our website, I'm the editor of a website called skyshipsovercashers.com. And we don't have very many YouTubes, but you can get to our YouTubes from our website. And there is uh, one um, of maybe a half a dozen YouTubes with a man who was out, I believe it was at Edwards Air Force Base. Um, and he not only saw uh, an alien, uh, he also met face to face with Buzz Aldrin and with, um, oh, who was the man who was in charge of the Secretary of State at that time? It's like the man who will never die. He's got to be really ancient now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow, uh, uh, so he had met face to face with him and, um, he acknowledged things to this man, uh, you know, to, to some extent about the UFOs. Wow. Was this guy's name Richard? Uh, no. No? Because I know someone else. Um, well, he's been on my show, and he's talked pretty kind of openly about it. His name is Dr. Richard Allen Miller. And Tell me. Tell me. I'm sure your listeners would be interested, too. Um, well, actually, a couple of different interesting things that he's, he has said. One that he has, he said that he has saw, a, you know, one of the greys that they had in captivity and it communicated with him, uh, through telepathy. 
And he also told me about going to the underground base in Antarctica with Edgar Mitchell. Wow, and they that's took a good story. A, and he took a submarine in. He, apparently, there's like 19 slots there for submarines. And th- there's three different levels to it. On the first level, they found uh, Nazi stuff. On the second level, they found uh, remnants of, of Vikings being there. And then the third level, <clears throat> apparently, was about almost like a hundred miles down into the earth. And I believe Edgar Mitchell went down. The other person that went down there, this was on the first expedition was uh, Admiral Byrd. And the report is that there's something living down there that is in a state of homeostasis. I think that's how I pronounce it. So... (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot that uh, has been leaking out with Antarctica. Uh, we've covered some of it on our website. Um, and, and there's increasing evidence that uh, um, the the ETs, which I believe are more reptilian than anything else down there, mm-hmm. have long had a base. And then um, in the 30s, 1930s, uh, the Nazis began to uh, work in collaboration with the reptilians and they began to have their own section down there um the area where they take the the submarines or the boats into these facilities are like rivers under the ice and people don't know it but the um what i'll call the western part of antarctica um is a huge area of, of very active volcanoes so many of these underground rivers and tubes have originally been caused by uh, volcanic eruptions. And those kind of eruptions are also contributing to um, the increased melting of the ice. Hmm. I didn't know about the volcano part of it. Yeah, I was uh, I was very surprised. I mean, we're not just talking two or three. We're talking, I at this point can't remember. If you told me it was like 15, I'd believe that. Um, somewhere in my records, I've got the exact number, but um, um, that's a, it's something that most people wouldn't expect to find down there. Wow! So that pretty much lines up with what I heard. And uh, um, wow. the, there's um, oh, there's so many names I don't even keep them straight anymore. I believe it was um, well, it doesn't matter. The um, People who were involved with Navy spy operations in World War II um, did talk uh, to some extent about what was going on down there. And they said that um, uh, UFOs were uh, traveling between Earth and predominantly um, that part of the the globe uh, to the moon. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a long time ago. So that gives you an idea of how we truly are being spoon fed information um, because we're seeing, you know, a couple of blips from um, the radar from an airplane. Big deal. That is nothing. Um, the reason that we named our website originally, which is uh, skyshipsovercashers.com, is because there is a mountaintop community called Cashers. And um, we started the website in 2008 because so many UFOs were being seen over that part of the mountains. And Cashers... Um, is in western North Carolina, and it's like a ridgetop community. 
Wow. Interesting. And we've seen and gotten pictures of things that you wouldn't expect. For example, there have been um, UFOs that look like um, uh, asteroids, but they are close to the Earth and they can hover in a position. And uh, one of the gals who lived up there and became our eyes to the sky and kept her camera handy was able to get a lot of photos for us. Um, there's also been things where uh, there have been uh, holographic images projected from UFOs. And I'll give you one of the two of the most dramatic ones. Um, one is um, there were these UFOs in the sky and they morphed into like horseshoes, like light lit up horseshoes. And then they became the number 1619. Uh, and those numbers appeared twice. So they would morph in and out of light. That is some kind of, um, I'm guessing, hologram type of technology. Perhaps a more dramatic one was this uh, uh, same person um, saw a, a UFO way up in the sky, you know, just a little bit bigger than a star. She didn't pay much attention to it because she, had, by that time, had seen so many UFOs over catchers. But then there was this beam of light that came down from the UFO, went down like a laser beam, and hit the parking area next to her house. And then over in the trees, and these are tall trees, like 35, 40 feet tall, um, there appeared a huge hologram of Jesus. And it stayed there for some time. And I'm not an expert on holograms, but basically you have to have two sources uh, to get the 3D image. So one was coming down from this beam of light from the UFO, and then the image was being essentially projected over in the trees. And um, uh, seeing a, a 30 to 35 foot tall uh, image of Jesus hovering in your trees um, is quite an unusual experience. But that clearly was being generated by UFOs. Uh, the technology is way beyond little blips flying across the sky. Um, and that's why I get totally annoyed when they feel, when people think they're really getting to learn so much from the government now. Well, it's just the government's being forced to squeeze out a little bit of information. And again, they are still spoon feeding us. Wow. That brings two things to mind for me. Uh, about the lasers, I think it was um, those reports in Chile of a whole town getting like zapped by by lasers and ending up with all kinds of weird burns. Um, and then like the government like almost like quarantined that place off. And then the Jesus thing reminds me of the story of Fatima. Yes, and and I think that uh, that was being generated by UFOs. Also, I know that doesn't set well with them. Um, uh, some among um, traditional religions, but um, they talk it, it, with Fatima. They talk about the sun coming toward them, and that just what well, you know that would explode the earth if it was really the sun doing it. Um, in all cases, including the one about the Jesus and the trees, that could only be seen from one position. The woman went from uh, the bay window in one room on her second floor. And when she went to look from another room on the second floor, she couldn't see it. 
And that's indicative of holograms also. You have to be in the right position to see them. So the technology and uh, that's been going on long before we understood technology, back to the days of Fatima, um, I think clearly are UFO generated. Hmm. How do you think they would know? That doesn't about- mean I don't. That doesn't. That doesn't mean I don't believe in a spirit realm because mm-hmm. I really, really do. Um, but there is this aspect of it also. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, like. Like my my first thought was like, well, well, how would ETs know about Jesus? But then, you know, the further I think into it about some of my other interviews and stuff about consciousness and multi-dimensional beings, the Akashic Records, then, you know, I guess that would become obvious, that answer. Right. You answered your own question, right? Yeah. It took me a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that I learned from the astronauts, and again, I lived in a small little place right on the beach, and down the beach from me was one of the um, engineers that worked at NASA, and we became uh, friends. And one day he arrived at my door, and he had a big box of books, and they were um, Alice Bailey Theosophy books. And he gave them to me, and he said that um, the people that, uh, most of the people that he worked with um, at NASA had already read those. So you don't think about um, NASA people getting into philosophy or theosophy or whatever it might be, uh, but apparently they were. So they were much more aware of dimensions um, than one might think. They know all this stuff, you know, and I totally agree with you that the information that is trickling out now is not even a scratch on the surface. There is, it goes much deeper and much further than a Tic Tac video. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's baby stuff. I mean, stuff that I've seen myself, you know, is such more, is so much more than that. I've seen, um, UFOs, um, um, close and far away and, and, and seen them do their, their tricks and um, uh, you know this is like I said it's just baby stuff what, that we're getting now in the news. What was the experience like for you when when you seen the UFOs? Did you feel anything? Did you you know what was it like? Like, like, like did you feel it physically? What were your thoughts like? Did you feel like they were trying to communicate with you? Um, it it went it I I was gently brought into all of this because in the beginning I would just see them in the sky, um, and to the point where I began to do a lot of research and um, I began to do lectures uh, all around the state of Florida. At that time, I was getting lots of evidence of UFOs um, often hovering over um, military bases. Now, today I'm convinced that uh, many of the things we call UFOs are actually man-made or human-made. Right. But, um, and it's getting harder to distinguish one from the other. But there has always been an interest in the military, whether they're military uh, uh, vehicles or they're being monitored. And we know from things that happened out in Montana with the uh, missile silos being suddenly shut down when the UFOs appeared, um, that, um, you know, they're monitoring us because uh, whether they're totally good or totally bad or something in between, um, 
they really do not want us to blow this planet up. Um, and so there's been a number of times where there's been stories of uh, like the ones in Montana where our uh, nuclear facilities have been brought right. to the screaming shut. So that's or shut down. So that's good. Um, I don't know. I have interviewed somebody who was at one of those facilities when that happened. And uh, I, I, I agree that there's they don't want us to blow ourselves up, or at least some of them don't. Um, one of the other things they... Um, Even the ones that we w would consider not so nice or, mm -hmm. or plain evil, they benefit from this planet staying intact. So protecting the planet, whether they're concerned about mankind, <laughs> is still a primary concern, no matter whether they're good or bad. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I had, um, and, and I'm, I, do you know who uh, Stephen Bassett is? I do. And, I don't know him, but mm -hmm. I know of him. Because yes. I had him on my podcast, and he's been on, he's been really doing rounds big time, going on everybody's podcast talking about some type of disclosure that's supposed to happen next month in June. Do you think there's anything to that, or is it just misinformation? Um, he's been talking about disclosure for a long time. I don't know when he started doing it. Uh, I'm of the opinion that um, it's going to be from regular citizens uh, becoming more um, outspoken about what they're seeing uh, that's going to create a, this disclosure or is in the process of doing disclosure now. Uh, I have never thought it was going to be initiated uh, by the government. The government will be forced to share things, but they won't share any more than they have to. And so I'm not sitting around uh, with my fingers crossed waiting for the government uh, to do disclosure. The disclosure is happening on programs like yours. The disclosure is happening in magazine articles, in mm -hmm. people's books, um, in websites like I have. There's lots of people uh, that are getting the word out, and that is spreading more and more and more. And I'm just not going to, you know, I just don't put a lot of stock in the government just suddenly <laughs> opening their doors and saying, well, here's all the information. They will only tell us what they have to. That is true. I, I, I agree that that. The government is more of a threat to us than the aliens. <laughs> um, they're at least keeping us in the dark. What's the old saying about they're treating us like mushrooms? They keep us in the dark and feed us shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that, that you also mentioned was them going to the moon. Um, I've never had him on my show, but but I have talked to him uh, almost like 20 years ago. I used to talk to him. was John Lear. And he would always talk about the subject of bases on the moon. Um, yeah, and I think that's, um, there's an article we did a bunch of years ago, um, and it was the serious, it was the confession of a woman who worked at NASA whose job it was to take these pictures of the moon and then airbrush out things they didn't want the rest of us to see. So there have been a number of people who have come forward over the years um, it's harder. You can't use um, Google Earth now uh, to explore the moon and, and hope to find the things that have been found in the past because they've done a good job of trying to, to wipe them out. But 
yes, it's definitely bases on the moon. And yes, they're on the far side of the moon. And uh, so that we can't see them. And who knows? I think they've been there for a very, very, very long time. Um, I would like to encourage uh, your listeners to spend some time using Google Earth uh, to do some searching. I have been amazed at what we have discovered. For example, you can open up uh, Google Earth Mars, and uh, a number of years ago, we discovered uh, very contemporary uh, structures um, that look like um, uh, modular um, space things that um, have uh, there have been um, designers of space. Uh, biospheres on the planet whose work looks very similar to what we found on the, on Mars. And we found one in the northern hemisphere and one in the southern hemisphere. So that was uh, done by using Google Earth Mars. It's, it's incredible. Um, and whenever I post these kind of things, I give people the coordinates so they can go back and, and find them for themselves because we live in a time of um, people getting their kicks out of doing Photoshop tricks. <laughs> and so if you can go back and find things for yourself, it's um, quite a bit more convincing. Right. H- have, have you ever found anything and then gone back to, to look at it and find that it was gone? Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, I, once or twice or maybe more, I've done examples where I've kept the photos where I first found them and then... Uh, I show what they've done to uh, block them out. This has been done on pictures that we found on Mars. It's been found of uh, on uh, um, one major entrance we found into the interior of Antarctica. And uh, I have real clear pictures of it. And then later, it actually very shortly after we posted it, um, it looked like somebody had spilled it bottle of India ink all over that area so that you couldn't see it any longer. Um, so, yeah, they're trying to hide stuff. That told me that that must be an active entrance now. If it was something old and of no consequence, they wouldn't have taken the time to um, blot it out. Wow. Interesting. Very interesting. And if people are interested in, in that kind of uh, uh, information, most of the things that I've done or posted um, about Antarctica and about Mars uh, and the moon uh, would be under a heading called Global Links um, on our website, Skyships Over Cashers. Okay. Um, yeah, after our episode, just send me links to all these, and I'll put them in the notes so my listeners can check it out as they're listening. Um, a, a, another thing we found, again, using Google Earth was um, – at least twice we've found uh, very large UFOs on Mars. And um, I don't have the statistics in front of me right now, but they uh, they really are huge. They're round. Um, and one um, another one, you can actually see the skid marks uh, that go on for like um, thousands of feet before it comes to a crashing halt against, um, I'll say, the, the, the dirt. And... Um, you know, that just lets you know that there's stuff going on there currently. Do you think humans are on Mars? Yeah, I do. In fact, the uh, the man who was um, in charge of um, um, security uh, for um, not just ordinary security, like space security or uh, something at a higher level, for Israel, 
came out, I think, at the end of this past year. Right, yeah. And he he said that, uh, you know, they definitely are um, uh, up there now and that our, the American astronauts are interacting with the ETs there. Right. Yeah, I, I, I you know, this, the whole secret space program thing is fascinating. It is, and I, I wish uh, I wish I could just instantly, um, you know, give you information. Uh, for example, I um, I just grabbed something so I can give you a statistic on one of the uh, UFOs that's landed on the planet on Mars. You can actually see the shadow, so it's not just a you know a flat image, and um, it's it, it's more than three and a half miles across. That's pretty good size. Wow. And the other man, I'm pulling up information now so I can be more helpful to you. Uh, the man uh, in Israel, he was Israel's security space program uh, director or head from 1981 to 2010. And he's received uh, awards from Israel. Um, so his credentials are uh, quite extraordinary. And I'll... I'll quote one line here. There's an agreement between the U.S. government and the aliens. They signed a contract with us to do experiments. They, too, are researching and trying to understand the whole fabric of the universe, and they want us as helpers. Uh, another quote from his statement. Uh, uh, There's an underground base in the depths of Mars where their representatives are and also our American astronauts. Another thing that we have in the global links section of the website, and you probably will have to go into the uh, archives for some of this, um, we were able to get um, uh, Google Earth images of int multiple entrances into Mars. And these are square cut. Uh, it's almost like a lintel and post type entrance. And they are all designed pretty much the same but the dimensions change. So you know you're not just getting a picture of the same one all the time. Um, that's pretty convincing that uh, something currently is going on too. Do you think, how, how do you think they get to Mars? Do you think they're using space travel or do you think they're using stargates? Uh, I think all of this uh, focus on some kind of a hardware technology to get us there is... Um, Maybe it's just a distraction. Maybe it's at one primary level of what's going on. Uh, but I think they have the capacity to get there in a, a, a much quicker way. Yeah, I do too. Do you think, uh, do you think some uh, of the people that they're using on these bases on the moon and Mars, um, are clones of humans? I don't know the answer to that one. Hmm. Because to me, that would make sense if they were just cloning humans and using those. Because then they, won't, they don't have, one, you don't have anybody missing. And you don't have to worry about them telling because you don't know anything other than their environment that they're in. Um, that certainly would have some kind of logic to it. I have no information to say yay or nay to that. Um, Again, you can tell I got into my file since we started talking. Um, I just want to mention the size of those entrances into Mars. Uh, one of them is 3,700 feet high and 528 feet wide. 
we're we're talking huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also those um, uh, biospheres that we found in the two hemispheres on Mars. Uh, one of them, um, which is in the at the South Pole, is um, um, se- oh, over seven thousand feet in length, and the one at the North Pole, um, which was found, which we found first, um, was six hundred and fifty-two feet in length. Wow. So those are pretty good size uh, biospheres, and that's exactly what they look like. Uh, along with that, I had. Um, an article about one of the um, uh, men who designs these biospheres. His name is Brian Versig. And uh, he, uh, on, in this particular art- article, which I titled, Artist's Concept May Exist on Mars, we show one of his renderings of what a biosphere should look like, and then we show the one on Mars, and there is quite a bit of similarity. Wow. Do you think that we originated on Mars and it was some type of war and we migrated back here? Um, there definitely was, that's a real possibility. There was definitely intelligent life on Mars in the past. Uh, one of the most convincing things that I found and I did post on the website shows like it, it, without using any imagination, you can clearly see something that looks like um, um, the entrance to a, a doorway, and like it's made out of cement. You can see the square-cut corner, and um, there's a, a book that's out. Uh, um, again, I'll see if I can remember the name of it, but the man um, talked about um, Mars being blown up by... Uh, uh, a nuclear uh, blast and the article title that we have on the website is Mars they blew the whole thing up that was his quote and this was from John Brandenburg and he had his PhD from Lawrence Livermore, Livermore National Laboratories and he's the senior propulsion scientist at Orbital, Orbital Technologies he worked at uh, uh, Sandia National Laboratories he has you know tremendous credentials Yeah, and um He's done a number of books that relate to uh, a nuclear disaster on Mars. Uh, the one that I've read is called Death on Mars. And uh, he really made uh, four points for people who don't want to read the whole book. And uh, based on the Viking mission data that was collected and the photographs that were taken, uh, he said that Mars was similar to Earth at one time. It had lakes, rivers, and ocean and breathable air. So that's one point. The second point he made is there is evidence there once was intelligent life and an advanced civilization on the red planet that um, there's there's pieces of things that look like like Roman um, buildings that have been destroyed uh, that have been um, picked up by satellite images. And uh, a third point he made was there's evidence of thermonuclear explosions on Mars that destroyed everything, including the planet's water and atmosphere. And one of the ways that um, they they uh, made this conclusion was the uh, high amount, and I'm going to mispronounce this, I'm sure, it's Xenonon-129, uh, which is a, a chemical, and it's spelled X-E-N-O-N. And he was showing the statistics uh, from um, the... Uh, 
the uh, vision, you know, from the Viking vision, vision mission. And um, he showed it to one of his uh, co-workers and the man responded, somebody nuked them. That's what the uh, superabundance of uh, Zenonon 129 means. So, yeah, um, I think that uh, he wrote that book or his books as cautionary warnings that we better be careful because we will end up just like Mars if we play with our nuclear toys. Hmm. Uh, one of the things that, that makes me think that we may have originated from Mars is the fact that we're bipedal. Because Mars is a smaller planet, so it would have less gravity, which would make being bipedal easier hmm. for us. Where every other life form on Earth is, you know, has four legs. Uh, that's something I hadn't thought about. You've given me a, a new thing to contemplate, so I obviously better keep my mouth shut with an opinion. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's just a thought, you know. It's just, I've always wondered why humans are bipedal and nothing else is. There's a lot of things. Uh, uh, let's see, there's a book. What was it? Man is from... I don't know. It's about the idea that mankind comes from Mars, that we are not uh, natives to this planet. One of the reasons they gave is that um, um, all the other animals don't seem to have a problem with their eyes and the sun. Mm -hmm. Humans do. Um, I think cats and stuff have like a double, um, almost like a lid on their eyes that helps protect them. Uh, we don't have that. And, um, you know, we run around with sunglasses, and that's one of the reasons that people give that, you know, perhaps we didn't originate from here. So that could be coupled with your idea of the pie, uh, the walking around on two feet. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, the only other creature that walks on two feet, and you've written a book on it, is Bigfoot. That's true. That's true. Um by the way, to give you an idea, another idea of how NASA keeps uh, information from us, um, in 2011, they found, uh, NASA found this, um, it's like a mound with a hole in it, and the hole is 115 feet wide, and it was discovered, you know, uh, on, on Mars. But it wasn't released to the public until March of 2020. Um and maybe this you maybe you'll find this interesting. This is a, a NASA astronaut talking about that again um, nine years after they discovered it. Why there is a circular crater surrounding this hole remains a topic of speculation, as is the full extent of the underlying cavern. Holes such as this are of particular interest because their interior caves are relatively protected from the harsh surface of Mars making them relatively good candidates to contain Martian life. These pits are therefore primary targets for possible future spacecraft robots and even human interplanetary explorers. Mm. But, you know, it took at least nine years for any of that to leak out to the public. <laughs> Which means they've already explored it by now and know it's there. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a, uh, I will not be able to give you the name of it, but there is a, uh, a Mars group that meets or seminar that meets, I think, in the D.C. area once a year. It's been going on for quite a while now. And um, it's my opinion that whatever they talk about there has already happened. 
So, so do you, what, you know, like one of the things that always made me think about that, like the moon, back to the moon topic is that we went there in the sixties and then all of a sudden we just stop for like 50 years. Why would we just stop going, stop human space exploration like that, you know, unless it just never stopped. It's just kept going, but in secret. Um, I've heard repeatedly from different sources that uh, uh, we were basically told to buzz off. And I believe that because look at us, you know, we suddenly all of the attention went to Mars and it would be so much easier to explore the moon. And yet you're right. That hasn't been done in any public kind of way. So, um, I think the ETs didn't want us there, and I think they made it clear they better that we better leave them alone. Hmm. Do you think Eisenhower made a treaty with the ETs? There's certainly increasing leaks of, that indicate he did. And you can understand where he was coming from. We had just come out of World War II. Uh, everybody's paranoid about, um, you know, uh, our country being attacked. And so... As I understand it, there was a uh, race of ETs that agreed to uh, help mankind if we would give up our nuclear weapons. Eisenhower, because we had just come out of the war, was not going to do that. So instead, he made an agreement uh, with um, the Greys. And um, uh, I think there's a lot of um, reason to believe that that's probably true. Um I know this isn't, you know, the best of sources, but his granddaughter certainly has mm -hmm. uh, talked about that also. Yeah, I tried to get her on my show. Difficult um, to do, huh? Laura, yeah. 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 Yeah, she, I mean, she has her own show, so I guess that's probably why. Um, but if she was smart, it would only promote her own show if she got on your show. <laughs> Yeah, I'll reach out to her again. I, I do that. Eventually, people will, will wear will, down. Not that it wear down, but they'll, they'll they'll take a look at my guest list and they'll be like, "Wow, I'm the only person who's done has, hasn't done this guy's show, so I better do it." Gotcha, gotcha. Whatever works. <laughs> um, that's interesting. I think um, you know we we've probably never. I, I do think that we probably origin one of the things I was going to ask you, actually. Not sorry, I'm kind of stumbling over my thoughts a little bit. That makes but, me feel better, so don't worry about it. <laughs> is um, one of the reasons that I think maybe they keep these they have a secret space program is because um, maybe they plan on annihilating this planet. And just allowing certain elite people to go off and recolonize somewhere else. I don't think anybody's given up on the Earth. I do know at at uh, many different levels there is great concern that we have overpopulated the uh, the planet, and there may be uh, very deliberate efforts to uh, uh, reduce that population mm -hmm. um, at a very cold-hearted level. You can understand where they're coming from, but um, at the same time, there's no heart or compassion in it. So um, there's certainly evidence for it, though. Yeah. 
I mean, that's, that's one way, but the other natural thing would just do, if we're going to overpopulate this one, we just move the population somewhere else. You know, um, I, I, I mean, there's no, the, the human race isn't going to survive if we don't become interplanetary. Um, I think we could, we could survive like we always have on this planet. Um, I think that the curiosity that the human mind has will, um, keep us exploring as far as we can. So interplanetary travel is just part of being human. Mm-hmm. I, I see that in our future or in our present, actually. But I don't think, I sincerely hope we don't destroy this planet and have to go back to Mars. I agree. I've become very attached to living on Earth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And it's really a beautiful planet. You see these other planets, you know, uh, and if you get out of the city and you start to see the greenery and you, I, I'm, I live in a beautiful place in the mountains and, uh, it, you know, I would hate to see that destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. I love living in the country too. I live in Alabama now and it's just, it's in nice the country, being in Alabama? Hmm? In the country in Alabama? Oh, it's more of a suburb now, but. Uh, I'm near the country, you know. It's it's nice. Everything's spread mm-hmm. out. It's not like uh, where I was living in New Jersey. That's for sure. Oh, 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 oh! <laughs> when I was uh, working for a, a major corporation, uh, when I had to fly into New Jersey, um, they I got treated so well because it's like the people in at the company were embarrassed to have to send me there, and I got the presidential suite. And they made sure that you had car service to get you someplace because uh, uh, Jersey, at least at that time, was um, uh, a place where you better be on guard. Yeah. Not a place I would want to live. Yeah, I lived there my whole life pretty much. Well, I I would fly in there to go south of there where the AT&T headquarters were. Oh, Piscataway? I, I can't remember anymore. I just know it was south of there. Yeah, it was Piscataway. I used to work there. Did you really? Mm-hmm. When were you working there? Uh, that would have been 1998. Okay. We didn't overlap. But um, anyhow, that's very interesting. In fact, one of the things that got me into this whole subject was I wasn't working for AT&T, but I was working for Bell, Bell Labs. Mm-hmm. And I used to smoke cigarettes. I was outside smoking one day and... Uh, some guy was smoking a pipe and he asked me, you know, what my job was there. And I was like, oh, I'm just here to, you know, upgrade computers and do this and that, you know. And, um, and he's like, well, did you know? He goes, I, he told me, he goes, I, I used to work for NASA and the computers that we have now were the result of reverse engineered UFOs. And so it was the fiber optics, which he was there for. That's what he was doing is fiber optics stuff. And and I had discarded it, you know. I said, ah, you know, guys, it's just crazy, you know. And at that time, I wasn't really into UFOs. And then I saw, I don't know, on TV, like a, one of those Bob Lazar things. Oh yeah. And then I was like, damn, maybe that guy was actually telling me the truth. <laughs> you may have missed a great opportunity. I, I had no idea. I was just a <laughs> a naive young man. <laughs> We learn so much, don't we? Yeah. You know, it, it, but that's what makes me believe that, yes, we, we, we have these crafts. We reverse engineered them. Some of our technology has been leaked out into the private um, sector, 
through, through, through people probably like him. And that's why we have some of what we have. Absolutely. Even simple things. Now, I never was a fan of hang orange juice, but that was the result of our space program. Yeah. I mean, that's a simple, stupid thing. But um, I remember going to the space center at uh, uh, Cape, Can- Cape Canaveral, and uh, they had samples of the space food, and I remember buying a number of those and just trying them out. Um, I'm sure they've improved on them since I tried them. <laughs> I hope so. Tang was terrible. But yeah, I don't. They don't produce it anymore, do they? I have no idea. <laughs> I wouldn't well, have the idea because I wouldn't go out and look for it. <laughs> no, no, I suspect it doesn't exist anymore. But after this show, I will look it up. It, it might be out there for for I don't know some obscure fan group that likes it. It was terrible stuff, though. You asked earlier, and I didn't answer your question, about um, did I feel anything or experience mm-hmm. anything unusual uh, with the UFOs? And I will share with you something that uh, I seldom talk about because it sounds totally goofy. Um, I was um, with a friend. We were traveling from the west coast of Florida to the east coast. It was after midnight. We stopped to get something to eat, and we were at uh, Buena Vista, which is just right outside of Disney, uh, Disneyland or Disney World. And uh, uh, we just sat down and we're eating some stuff again after midnight on a park bench um, near the place where the um, oh god, what do they call it? Hard Rock Cafe was eventually built. Mm-hmm. There was a big a wall around this um, area where they were building this structure. So we're just sitting there eating, and um, two things happen. A couple things happened that were really strange. Um, first of all, if I had blinked my eyes, I wouldn't have seen this. But something hit me on the left side of my forehead, and then I could feel it in the back part of my head, which is where the visual part of your brain is, and. It was about the size of a illuminated yellow, um, green yellow um, check, like from a bank. And again, if I'd blinked, I wouldn't have seen it. I wouldn't have known that something like that had actually hit my head. All right, so that certainly has never happened to me, and I've never been aware of it before or since. Then there was a security guard who was walking by, and he was not acting normal. He looked at us, gave us this kind of almost a robotic stare, went over and unlocked the um, construction wall that had been built around, you know, to protect the, the construction site, opened the door, smiled at us again, and walked off. Now, that's bizarre behavior. I have great curiosity, so I went over, and since he opened the door, I thought, I'm going to go look. And this door is more like a giant high fence. And there was a UFO hovering over that site. So whatever hit me in the head was coming from that UFO. So that's one of the most dramatic um, UFO experiences that I've had personally. Wow. And I felt like it was a download of information um, because there were um, things I began to um understand that I hadn't understood before. Um, so I really think it was, um, I don't know, putting a new, a new computer chip in me or something. 
So what kind of information did you think they, they, they placed in your mind? Um, well, I mean, at that time I wasn't doing these kind of, I wasn't doing a website like this. Mm -hmm. So this, this happened before that. It uh, happened before I started investigating UFOs around Florida at that time. It, it happened before I started lecturing about it. Um, so maybe the inspiration to share that information, um, really got a nudge from that experience. That's very possible. Hmm. That's interesting. And bizarre things happen. For example, I had a, um, I think it was a three, three lectures set up about UFOs over Florida, and they were all scheduled in the Fort Myers area. And one of those was on Captiva Island, and I was talking to this group, a pretty good-sized group, and off there was like a open doorway that went into an adjoining room, but it was a wide open doorway so you could clearly see in that. And there were four guys at a table listening very intently to what I had to say. There was something about them that seemed quite, um, I don't know, they weren't like the rest of the people in the audience. So afterwards, I went over, over and initiated a conversation with them. They told me something that doesn't totally make sense. They told me that they uh, worked for the for Project Blue Book. Well, Project Blue Book officially ceased to be, I think, in 1969. Mm. Well, this was well after that. And so I, it was just kind of bizarre. And the other thing that was strange was the night before I was le to lecture, um, and it was in the papers, it got some pretty good coverage that I was going to be speaking, a UFO was seen over the bridge uh, that went over to Captiva from the Fort Myers area, and that made the paper uh, the day that I spoke. So all these things kind of came together in a, um, I don't know, in a way that just made you kind of wonder. Have you considered or, or even tried um, using hypnosis to find out any more information that, may have been, that you may have been given? Um, it is, uh, things like that have certainly passed across my mind. Um, I sometimes can uh, receive information directly that, that that started from that point also. Uh, as far as hypnosis goes, um, I've not personally found, I know there's some good uh, hypnotherapists out there. There are few and far between. Um, and so... I'm not saying I wouldn't do it if I really had confidence in the person who was the hypnotherapist. Uh, but no, I have not had that done. Hmm. Something to try. There's always things to try. <laughs> I guess what made me think of that because I had interviewed Kathleen Martin not too long ago. That's ringing bells, but I don't know why. Kathleen Martin. Oh, uh, she's the uh, yeah. she's the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. Oh yes, I've heard of her lecture. I just didn't remember her name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she does a lot of hypnosis herself too. Is she good at it? Yeah, I think she's probably the one of the best. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. Um. Are you familiar, you know, 
are you, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, the government not making disclosure. And I always kind of felt that, you know, it should be scientists. But you also mentioned, you know, it coming from normal people like me and you. Um, what do you think of like this um, Stephen Greer C5 project? Um, I'm one of those people who believes that there are the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to ETs. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people need to be very cautious about who they call in, um, because it's not always a good experience. Um, so I'm, I'm very cautious about that. I also, um, believe that, uh, um, the most evolved ETs, the ones that would appear to people in a, in like a human form or in, um, I don't know, like one of the grandmasters or like a, an angel that, um, they do not, um, create any sense of fear when people encounter them. Um, so they would not make contact with you in the same way that, uh, uh let's say the, uh, ETs or the gray ETs would make contact with you. Uh, I'm very cautious about ETs, um, especially the the, uh, the greys and the reptilians. I'm not sure they have our best interest at heart. Um, I think that there are variations within the grey ETs. I think some of them might actually be um, like robotic and right. doing the bidding of somebody else. Um, so it's kind of swampy out there. And so... I think people need to be cautious about calling in ETs um, because I'm not sure you're in control of what comes in. Mm. That's a good point, really good point. You know, you mentioned the Greys. You know, I had interviewed Terry Lovelace, and he mentioned that about the Greys too, about them sort of being like almost like a biological type of AI. Right. And I don't think that necessarily applies to all of them, but it, there's enough stories that indicate they might very well, some of them, be just doing robotic work. Interesting. You know, and if that is the case, that these great aliens are robotic AI, that kind of puts the, um, a, a big hole in the Zachariah Stitchin theory that we were created by e, by by e, ETs to be used as slaves to mine gold. Um, I will never dismiss the things that he's written. Um, mm -hmm. There may very well be truth to what he says. And I, I will not dismiss it. Um, the fact that we have genes, um, uh, and probably part of our DNA, is like turned off. Uh, and why is that? Most of it's turned you know? off. <laughs> <laughs> and the more I see of the news, I think that maybe it's almost totally shut down for too many people. <laughs> I, I, I question the, the uh, intelligence of our species the more I watch television news. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't you know, disagree with him either. Um, I mean, it, it's even possible that maybe they're a human. And it's also possible that um, um, there's been more than one alien species involved with the development of mankind. Mm -hmm. 
In fact, um, my monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, he wrote this book called It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And one of his theories, or his main theory is that they, um, that, that, that humans were here, left the Earth, and, you know, because of the lack of gravity and everything else in space, they evolved, we evolved into the greys and then returned. And, and that's us from the future. And there's no way that anybody can say yay or nay to that theory of his. Yeah. I mean, there's no proof one way or the other. It's an interesting theory. And the human mind is capable of coming up with all sorts of theories. And, it, you know, at one time I was a newspaper editor uh, for two major metropolitan newspapers. And so that part of my brain still functions pretty it functions. And so I, I question so many things. And and um, we just need to not be, not swallow everything so easily. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I guess my brain just sort of just like looks at all this information and just tries to connect the dots. Oh, and that that's that's what the human mind ought to be doing. So, you know, that's great. Keep it up. Yeah. But in the end, I, I don't know what the truth is. And, I, and I'm very honest about, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I'm just poking around for information, really. <laughs> and Just don't poke or just don't poke a hornet's nest. <laughs> I'm pretty but sure I've, I'm pretty I've sure firm, I have. <laughs> I, I firmly believe in our gut feeling, and there's many terms you can use for that. If something doesn't feel right, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I've learned that the hard way too. So um, uh, I think that is there's there's something there that's kind of not easily put into words. That's like an early warning um, uh, signal. So if um, if a UFO hovered over my yard, um, I would trust that gut feeling as to what I should do. Yeah. I don't know what else we've got going for us. Right. I mean, the, the, the two things that I don't question is that UFOs are real and we are being visited by aliens. Those two things I'm 100% sure of. And that I agree with you. And some of these other things, I don't think we're in a position to totally make absolute conclusions. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. And I'm sure it's way more complicated and intricate than anything that I'm probably capable of imagining to begin with. That's... I don't know. I have a hunch your imagination works pretty well. <laughs> um, you mind if I, if I, if I um, sort of jump topics a little bit um, okay. to the little people of the Cherokee? Okay. Um, and, and I think maybe this might even connect a little bit because, um, you know, one of the things that, that has always fascinated me is – Human evolution and, and, and just some of the, a, a ton actually of the archaeological finds that have been discovered here in North America that have been just kept secret from the general public. And no. when I was looking at your Cherokee thing, people, I was like, well, why isn't this well known? Uh, <clears throat> I, I never write a book just because I want to write a book. Mm-hmm. I write a book because it doesn't seem like anybody else is covering the subject. And when I moved to North Carolina um, back in 98, 
Um, I'd never heard of Cherokee Little People and didn't give it much thought. Um, I live uh, close to the Cherokee Indian Reservation. I began to hear the stories of the little people. At first, I dismissed them as just tales around, you know, Cherokee campfires. <clears throat> and then uh, there was a man uh, who was well-respected in this community who came into where I was working. And I'd met him before, but um, um, he was a World War II veteran. He had been a pastor in the area for over 40 years, um, had written several books himself, very well-respected. And he said, no, the Cherokee little people were real. And after World War II, um, when he was a young man, he um, was involved with uh, doing construction at Western Carolina University, uh, which is in this area. And um, they, he was... All right. So um, we were just talking about the um, the the little people, the Cherokee little people. Okay. Um, all right. Um, I had never heard of little people before I moved to North Carolina in 1998. Um, I live not too far from the Cherokee Indian Reservation, and I began to hear these uh, stories about Cherokee little people. Mm -hmm. And I kind of dismissed them as, um, you know, just old Cherokee stories that they would tell uh, around a campfire. And um, I began to change my attitude when uh, a man who's well-respected in this uh, area came into where I worked. I had met him before, but never had talked about little people. And he said, no, they were real. And as a, he, he was a man to respect because he had been a World War II hero. He had served as a pastor in the area for over 40 years. He'd written a couple books himself. Uh, and so I wasn't going to dismiss what he had to say. According to him, right after World War II, when he was a very young man, he was involved in construction projects at Western Carolina University, which is here in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And whenever they would uh, dig into what was supposed to be virgin soil, they would find these little red, these little tunnels cut into red clay. They were square cut with an arch top. And uh, he eventually connected me with a number of the old timers who were mostly in their 80s when I interviewed them. And um, so I would spend my Saturdays for about a year um, at kitchen tables interviewing these old timers 
And the reason I did it was because none of their stories, none of their information was in print or recorded anywhere. And because of the age of the men, I just was basically driven to do the interviews and record the information before, you know, it all disappeared forever. And it seemed that no matter where they were doing construction in what was supposed to be virgin soil, virgin soil they would find these little tunnels. Um, not only that, they found small skeletons. Uh, one professor um, kept a small skull on his desk, kind of like a decorative conversation paperweight. <laughs> and um, he said it was a child skull from one of the Indian mounds. Well, there was a high school English teacher who came by one day and looked at the, the skull real closely and said, this is not a child skull. It has all its wisdom teeth. And um, later, the these old timers the, told me that that mound uh, was not an Indian mound because there was a tubular hole that they could remember since they were boys, young boys. And it went straight down into this mound or hill. And the farmer who farmed the land before the university expanded kept big logs in that hole so the cattle wouldn't fall in the hole. Well, these old timers discovered that these tunnels, many of the tunnels, connected to this um, mound. And they believed very strongly and very unanimously that this was just a pile of dirt that was created by these tunnels being uh, dug out. And um, it kind of made a lot of sense. Wow. This is the best uh, story that I've heard about those mounds so far. Well, that, I'm not saying all mounds are like that, but this right. particular mound on this campus, um, that, that, was, that was the case. Um, and uh, it makes sense. If you're digging tunnels, the dirt's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Do, do you think these little people are still around, or do you think they're At just... At the time I wrote the book, the title was Cherokee Little People Were Real. Mm-hmm. And I not only did the interviews, I went back later and... Um, investigated all sorts of old archaeological evidence from this area. Uh, I found maps. I found um, different things that substantiated what these men were telling me. And that's, I was just looking back when I wrote that book. Since then, um, I, have, I, 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 would, I would use a different title today because uh, they're few and far between, but there are, to this day, uh, reports of little people still living. Um, and one of the stories that's popping in my head right now is really kind of cute. Uh, a young Cherokee woman who I think was, um, I think she was 29 when I interviewed her. And she would not have talked to me except one of her friends was a friend of mine and talked her into it and said I was trustworthy. And she told me the story about uh, her family having a place in a remote part of the reservation where they would have their family picnics or family gatherings. And they kept a small trailer there so that they could cook and they would have a a restroom. And one time when they were up there, uh, all the kids, including this woman when she was younger, were playing hide and seek. Well, she went to hide in the shower in this little trailer. And when she pulled back the curtain, there was a little man, little person, um, just grinning at her. And she described him as looking like, um, let's see if I can remember the name of the character. 
um, the Jungle Book, mm-hmm. um, like the little boy from the Jungle Book, right. with the straight cut hair, said he looked like him. So they're still there. Yeah, and there's been other stories too. Um, we found, uh, let's see, people who live on a mountain ridge very close to where I live have a uh, game cam out by their road. Now they live at the top of a ridge. It's one of these single lane roads, uh, gravel, not well traveled. And um, a bird triggered this camera to take, take a, a picture. And in the background, back in the woods, there is what looks to be a little person. And this couple, um, they hesitated a long time before they told me about it because they debated whether they were seeing a spirit or whether they were seeing an actual little person. Um, the man went back into the woods and um, was able to measure the height of this person based on the tree that he was standing by in the original photo. And, um, you know, it, it came up to be the height that we hear repeatedly with the little people, which is about three and a half feet tall. And um, the, the reason they thought it might be a spirit because it was a little bit um, not clear. And so what I did was I took the photo and I turned up, uh, the intensity of the color. When you do that, anything that's alive goes into a magenta range. Mm-hmm. And then in the article that I posted, I also took um, uh, like a ghost photo or maybe more than one uh, that have been confirmed as being ghost photos. I did the same thing of turning up the intensity. In one picture, there is a ghost crawling on the, the living room floor playing with a real living, breathing child. And when I turned up the, the intensity of the color, the child went to magenta, but mm-hmm. the ghost stayed in the, um, um, you know, stayed white or clear, or transparent, translucent. Right. And uh, when I did this with this little person in the woods, it went to magenta. So it was something alive. Wow. You know, this- but that was years. That was years after um, first learning about um, uh, little people, you know, to uh, get any kind of evidence of that is mm-hmm. very hard to come by. If That's Bigfoot cool. can hide in the woods, then, you know, the little people should have a much easier time of it. Yeah. I mean, there's been reports of little people through various cultures around the world, you know. Absolutely. From Hawaii, here, um, and, and they've even found those Hobbit people skulls. So, I, I mean, there, there's evidence that these small humans have lived and maybe are still here. Yeah. And I, like I said, I, if I wrote the book today, um, uh, I would change the title of the book because uh, I used it in the past tense, which was Cherokee little people were real. But there's a lot of good information in there, lots of photos. I should mention that on the website, uh, skyshipsovercashers.com, I've got photos for, with almost everything I post. And the books that I do are um, eight and a half by eleven, glossy, uh, with lots of photos. Uh, so when you're not you're not just reading, you know, gray type. You're getting to see the places um, uh, and you know the imagery that goes with the story. Wow, that's great! I definitely have to get your book. Um, where do you, do you think that the government like 
even though like along Bigfoot, do you think the government knows about Bigfoot and these little people and are covering it up, especially like the museums, like the Smithsonian? Uh, there's, uh, we've done a couple postings on it. There's at least two books that I've read uh, that seem very, very credible about how the Smithsonian has covered up the existence of, let's say, giants. And um, back in the 1800s, people were finding lots of these uh, skeletons of giants. Mm-hmm. And the Smithsonian would be called in the, and they would take the skeletons and they would never be seen again. And there's just a tremendous amount of evidence in some of these books that uh, uh, there has been a cover-up about those giants. Even here at the university, um, uh, at least two or more people that have graduated from the, hold on, the archaeology department or anthropology department uh, have talked about um, uh, giant skeletons, two of them being stored at the university and that they were giants and they had six toes. Uh, the sad thing is uh, that um, um, those uh, have been sent off to the Smithsonian too. So that and evidence of the little people have gone the way of the Smithsonian. I don't know if we'll ever see it again. Right. So, so, so there's definitely possibly still races existing on this continent that the Smithsonian is hiding and do you think that any of that is connected with um, some of the national parks and national forest land where they don't allow people to go? Um, I Well, I'm, I'm not going to talk about everything I've ever done, but there's another book I did is called Underground uh, Military Bases Hidden in North Carolina Mountains. And some of those... Um, um, <sighs> They try to protect the entrances to some of those, and some of the one of them is in the Smoky Mountain National Park, not in the part where everybody goes, but um, um, you know, they uh, they protect those things and don't want people to be aware of them. So before we wrap this, I want to ask you one more question. You think all this stuff is connected? The UFOs, the little people, the Bigfoot parks, Smithsonian covering things up, secret space program. You think it's all put connected it, somehow? Put it this way. Um, if you were making a quilt, you could piece these things together to make a quilt. Um, you have to be open to the possibility there is a thread that connects all these. Yeah. I wonder what that thread is. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> those, are, either. those are certainly fascinating uh, things that um, are worth contemplating. And it's good for us. We need to think beyond um, the everyday. We need to expand our minds. We need to contemplate the, the universe and greater realities. Yeah. Have you ever heard the story of G.E. Kincaid? Is he the painter? No, he was a... Um, a, photog- a, a photographer national for National Geographic who found supposedly found um, mummies and Egyptian relics in the Grand Canyon. Uh, yeah, and we I'm bad at remembering all the names, but yeah, we've done an article on that too, and it's fascinating. Hmm. Interesting. There's so much about North America that we don't know. It drives me crazy. 
Um, don't let it drive you crazy. Just consider it wonderful stuff to explore. Yeah. You wouldn't have a radio show if we had it all figured out. It's true. <laughs> um, so before we wrap it up, um, where can my listeners find you? All right. The website that I've referred to several times is called skyshipsovercashers.com. The word cashers is spelled as if it was a, a cashier at a mm-hmm. Walmart store. Um, and the archives, there's an archive in every section. We have global links. We have UFO photos. We have deep throat testimonies. We have a whole lot of different things that are on the home page. That's on the left side of the home page. On the right-hand side, we have the most recent 20 or 25 articles that have been posted. So um, if you go to Editor's Corner, open up that, you can find out about uh, a little bit of a blurb about each of the books that I've written. Um, so that's one thing I can share with your audience. All of my books are available on Amazon. Um, on the homepage, again, there's a way to um, contact us. So if somebody has a really good story they'd like the rest of the world to know, uh, feel free to contact me. And uh, again, that's on the, the website, skyshipsovercashers.com. Awesome. I will post a link to, to the website in the notes of this episode, and I'll also post a link to your books on Amazon, too. Thank so you. So can check it. that out. We have to do this again. There's so much to talk about. Uh, it was a pleasure just rattling on with you. Yeah, it was great. I, I could talk to you all day. Uh, I, I, I'm going to get hungry, though, so that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> I get hungry, too, and go to the bathroom and all these terrible things. <laughs> well, anyhow, I wish you all the best with your show. Thank you for having me on, and... Maybe we'll talk again. You got it. Thank you, and have a great day. And just hang on for one moment. I just have to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.